0: We're starting a brand new series this morning called Amazing Grace. And uh, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you have probably heard about grace. It's something that that gets said often. We talk about God's grace. We sing about His grace. And for, for me personally, it's something that a lot of times just becomes another church word. And I understand that, that God saved me. He did these things. But a lot of times we don't understand the full measure and weight of God's real amazing grace. And grace, in reality, it's something that we crave the most when our guilt is exposed. I don't know if, if you have ever, maybe uh, if you're remembering when you were a teenager, or if you are a teenager now, if you've ever come home late at night and your parents were staying up, and they caught you coming home late, and you walked in and there was dad waiting on you, and you knew that there was nothing you could do to get out of it, that you couldn't turn it over to your brother, you couldn't say it was my sister's fault, you knew you were caught 100%. In that moment, what you crave the most is for your father or your mother to what? Extend you, not punishment, but grace. It is what we crave the most when our guilt is exposed. It's, and it's at the same time the very thing that we are hesitant to extend when we are confronted with the guilt of others. Especially if their guilt has robbed us of something we consider really valuable. Isn't that true? And there is the struggle. The struggle with grace. It's the struggle that makes grace a little bit more story than just doctrine. It's the struggle that reminds us that grace is bigger than compassion. Grace is bigger than forgiveness. It's the struggle for the context of both. When we are on the receiving end of grace, grace is refreshing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing to be on that receiving end of grace? But if it requires of us to extend grace, it's disturbing, isn't it? It's really really hard but when it's correctly applied it's amazing to see grace in action and from the beginning of creation all the way until the end when God returns grace the story of grace has been unfolding God's grace is for everyone and in this series we're going to look at a few different aspects of God's grace that he has chosen us by his grace that he has saved us by his grace, that he fills us by his grace, and he commissions us for grace. Okay, so let's just start with a baseline definition of grace. Those of you who are, uh, understand God's grace, this might be a slightly different. Those of you who don't know anything about God's grace, this will enlighten you. Maybe this will align perfect with your thought of grace. But grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned, Kindness in favor of God That was going to be That will be our baseline For this entire series Grace is the unmerited Undeserved Unearned kindness In favor of God And for a long time growing up In the church myself I never fully understood grace And those of you who have been coming to church For a long time Maybe you're in that same kind of boat Um, I always had a difficult time acknowledging the fact the God who I saw in the New Testament, who was the Jesus carrying the lamb, who would leave the 99 for the one, and the children sitting on his lap, I always had a hard time acknowledging the fact that I saw this grace-filled God in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, what I saw was a God who was angry and wrathful, and a God who created many laws, and for me, that was always difficult to swallow. How could this God, who's supposed to be all loving and so full of grace, how could he have given, the, the, in the Old Testament, so many laws for us to follow and for us to break and for us to be separated from him and all these different things? It always was difficult for me. And it wasn't really until I really dove in Um, to the scripture and really dove into other people's thoughts on grace that it was such a bigger picture than what I initially understood. And so this morning, we're going to try and tackle a little bit of that issue, that the God that we see in the Bible has never changed. The God we see in the New Testament is the same God we see in the Old Testament, that God's character is a God full of of grace From the beginning of creation all the way till the end. So, first thing for us to remember is in the beginning, there was grace. Now, philosophers for years have been debating the existence of God and have been debating the creation story and whatnot. Now, one thing that's always been unsettling to not only scientists but ph- philosophers is why is there anything... Rather than nothing. You ever ask that question to yourself? Just why is there anything at all? Why is there just nothing? And in the beginning, we see God created the heavens and the earth. That He didn't have to, it could have just been nothing. But this was the first massive extension of grace that we see that He created something. That He never had to, but He did. In the beginning, There was grace, and not only that, God created this amazing world, and if you were here last week, you heard of Pastor Ryan talking about this world and creation that God made, that through this, it was so detailed and so marvelous, and that that you're just here right now thinking and comprehending what I'm saying, and that you can go look and see all the amazing aspects of creation, that that was God's grace. We didn't do anything to get that. We never deserved it. And here's the thing with grace, is grace is never just enough. Grace is always far more than enough. And we see this as he made Adam and he made Eve, And he gave them this huge abundance of everything that they needed to thrive. And not, not only that, he encouraged them to live life to the fullest. He said, go and be, go and subdue this world. He put them at number two in charge over everything next to him and said, go live life that here were two people that deserved nothing, they did nothing, but God gave them an overabundance. He gave them so much detail and so, so much of us detail in creation, that here we are, that God's grace is never just enough, it is far more than enough. And more than that, God gave Adam and Eve purpose. He told them to go and subdue and rule over this land. That's just another aspect of God's grace, that it is his purpose. And here's the thing as it gets, starts to get more interesting is that in the beginning, there was lots of responsibility for Adam and Eve, wasn't there? In this perfect world that God created, but there was only one rule. There was an immense amount of freedom, but one rule. And that one rule was you can eat and do whatever with all of these food and trees and whatnot, but there's just one rule, which is don't eat from the tree of knowledge. So there was many, many yes trees there was one no tree. Isn't that an interesting fact that once again we bump into this this important aspect of grace that a lot of times we skip over about creation and we're tempted to just overlook it. And depending on how you were raised in church, whether you did or did not attend church growing up, this can be a critical juncture for our understanding of uh, God's character and his grace in your life, and we see in the Old Testament. In the beginning, for Adam and Eve, there was no guilt. In the beginning, there was no condemnation. In the beginning, the first two people never went to sleep at night wondering where they stood with God. In the beginning, these two people had a perfect relationship with the Lord. And where we can look at and see that God's expression of grace was innumerable, his requirements were very minimal. Isn't that interesting to think that God's grace, everything he did, everything he gave Adam and Eve, his expressions of grace was just many and incomprehensible. And his requirements for Adam and Eve were extremely minimal. There was one rule. This tells us a lot about God from the very beginning. And that's a lesson life easily erases for us, isn't it? That as this lesson is rarely underscored in the way that we're raised. That's an insight difficult to keep front and center with the complexity of religious systems that tell us that you have to, that there's so many requirements and so many things. It's a complexity that our life, when sin gets in the way, which we're gonna talk about more, when those things get in the way, It's something that oftentimes gets lost. And we come to the very opposite conclusion from from our perspective. God's requirements are innumerable and his grace is minimal. Isn't that oftentimes where we find ourselves? Is that it's his requirements that are so many and it's his grace is only when we do this one thing that we mess up? And if that's you and you've ever had that picture of God... You're not alone. You are honestly the majority of people that see God that way. And here's Adam and Eve, and they're in this relationship. They're in this perfect world that there's maximum amount of freedom. God intended it to be that way. And there was one rule. And we have no idea how long Adam and Eve trusted God. And this fragile system that God made, it was all built on trust. And it could have been years Hundreds of years? Thousands of years? We don't know how long Adam and Eve trusted God with this, but then at some point they decided they wanted to try from the tree of knowledge. And Adam and Eve, as they ate that fruit, they felt shame for the first time. And isn't it interesting that sin is the gateway and the doorway to shame and guilt? Sin also impairs our judgment because what we also see is that Adam and Eve, they tried to hide from God. They went and hid through their shame, and then it was God who pursued Adam and Eve, and as he walked through the garden, he said, Adam, where are you? And so here, in that moment, God's grace pursued Adam and Eve, and our understanding of sin really affects our understanding of grace. Our confusion about sin, oftentimes, we we think it's just a mistake or it's just like some stuff going on in our life. And we severely misunderstand and underestimate the implications and the effects of sin, not only in our lives, but through all of creation. But how could we know any different? Because sin is like a cancer. It's like a disease that infected the creation and our lives in the world. It affected everything. And I don't know if we can ever truly understand or know as much study and as much prayer and as much all these things that we could ever fully comprehend and understand the effects of sin in creation. For example, does a fish know it's wet? Does a polar bear know that it's cold outside? That their whole worldview is wrapped around this one thing. And our worldview is we have all been raised in a sin-filled world. That how could we ever fully grasp and understand the gravity of sin in the world? We like to measure our sins though, don't we? Don't we like to look back and be like, I'm not, I'm not like really bad, I'm just kind of like good bad. You never thought that before? I'm not like a really bad person, I'm just kind of like I'm good bad. And we like to measure our sin because I think we can do that. That we go like, yeah, I'm not like a murderer, but like, I'm just like, kind of like good, bad. Like I lie every now and then. And we like to measure it, but we actually have really no comprehension of the implications of sin. And church people, we try and do that all the time. They're like, I'm better than that person. Or I, don't, I haven't sinned as much as them. And that's a very skewed perspective of sin because sin affects our entire world, all of creation, all our relationships, all our perspectives, everything, sin is a cancer and a disease in this world that will never go away without God's grace and his plan of redemption. And so in the beginning, here is Adam, here is Eve, they encounter this sin and they feel shame, they try and hide from God And what is when God pursues Adam and says, Adam, where are you? What does Adam do in that response that he didn't deserve any of this that God had given him? What did Adam say? He said, God, it was your fault that this happened because you sent this woman in my life that she tricked me. It was your fault. And from the very beginning of time, Adam blamed God for his troubles and get this, mankind has been blaming God ever since. Where have you blamed God for your troubles? Where have you felt shame or guilt or, or uh, troubles in your life and you've just said, it is the God who is innumerable with your requirements and minimal with your grace that it is your fault that this has happened. When we see it as we can look at Adam and Eve's story looking back, don't we all think Adam's a, like a numbskull, right? Like, really, bro? Like, that's what, that's what you thought? Hindsight's always 20-20, isn't it? And we can see that, but a lot of times we're blinded by our own life. And a lot of times we're blinded by those very things that we blame God as well. So how did God deal with this shame and this guilt from Adam and Eve? He gave them exactly what they didn't deserve. Grace. God told them that if they ate from the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. And what happened after He after they ate that? It could almost even be argued that God broke his promise. Now I was I learned growing up that it was all oh, they actually spiritually died. And it, they didn't actually die physically. But that's not the case. We see Adam and Eve, they have a relationship. They continue to talk with God even after sin had come in. What we see is that God extended them what they never deserved, and that was grace. Instead, what did he do? He clothed them. He punished them like a parent. Would And there's gonna be hardships because this took place, but just as we set boundaries for our kids and we punish our kids, here is God extending grace that they never deserved this. What they deserved was to die, but God extended grace. And as sin's grip tightened on the world and as sin's grip tightened in men and women's heart, wickedness filled the men and women, our hearts and lives. And what, where was this once authentic relationship in the Garden of Eden with God was all but gone. And so here we see in Genesis 6, 5, we see the Lord saw how great men's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. This is what sin had done to men's hearts right here. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. I don't know if you've ever had a child that has uh, uh, hurt you in some way, uh, disobeyed in some way. Doesn't it grieve your heart as well? Your heart gets filled with pain. And here was God's heart that all this amazing grace and creation he had given Adam and Eve. that. they went and broke that his heart was grieved. And then he saw the the effects of sin throughout the entire world and all these men and women, their hearts were filled with wickedness and his once relationship with man was broken. But because of grace, God could have just deleted everything and the world ceased to exist. Like that was a failed attempt. But that's not what happened. But because of grace, God chose to clean up what we messed up. Now, when Chantel and I, we first got a puppy a few years ago, um, we didn't realize the messes that we would get involved in. And there was this one moment when uh, our dog, Sadie, was about, I don't know, four months old, six months old, something like that. It had come down with a pretty bad, severe case of colitis. And at the same time, it was learning to be kennel trained in its kennel. Um, And it wasn't fully housebroken yet. And so I woke up one night, Chantel and I woke up one night, to like scratching and moaning and barking and we're like, what's going on? With the faint, drifting smell of something that went bad. And as we walked in to see uh, our dog completely just soaking wet, I wondered how such a tiny animal created such an explosion. And there was just like this massive Huge mess. And it was like in that moment when you're like trying to figure out what you do and you're trying to clean the dog and it starts to like want to shake, you know, and you kind of see its shoulders go. You're like, no! That there was this huge mess on our hands. And if you've ever been in a position like that where you had like the Kevin Malone moment where you dumped the chili pot or you uh, uh, spilt the spaghetti everywhere or you came home and your kids had just like ripped everything out of every toy bin, and it was just over the entire house. Those of you who've ever encountered a huge mess, how do you begin to clean it up? You just got to start somewhere, right? You just got to start. And here, in God's grace, there was this incredible mess on his hands. This huge mess that sin and wickedness had created, and God chose to wade in hip deep and clean up this mess that sin had created. And the ultimate solution was going to be a savior, a savior whose redeeming work would create a way for God to eradicate sin without ever having to destroy his people. But where God, he began the process of redemption in the, in the world where sin had tainted everything, he really only had one choice, as he just had to pick a spot and begin. And he started that clean up mess with a sinner, an undeserving man named Abram. This is where God decided to begin this cleanup, this mess that sin had made. He determined that he was gonna create a new nation that was gonna fall after him. But for uh, so many years, everyone had become so wicked and had no understanding of the God who created everything that all their religious and uh, God worldviews of these polytheistic gods and all these different things had come and filled the entire earth. So God decided, I have to start a new nation, but there was no nation to start with. They were all evil and wicked, so he decided to start with a man, Abram, this man who had no influence, no children, no homeland, and God came and said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And then for no reason other than God just wanted to, God made Abram a threefold promise. And that's found in Genesis 12. It says this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. God initiated a relationship with Abram He began with a promise, a promise Abram never deserved, Abram never asked for, he wasn't thinking about it, he wasn't wondering about it, and this was all God's idea. The Lord didn't issue Abram a set of behaviors to adhere to. The Ten Commandments wouldn't appear for several hundred years, several generations. He simply asked Abram to receive his promises. Isn't that interesting? That God never started with a set of commandments. He started with a one-sided promise to an undeserving man. Sound a little similar to the New Testament, doesn't it? Sound very similar to what we read in Matthew and in Mark and in John and in Luke about our Savior, Jesus. And you, like Abram, have been chosen by grace. By grace, God chose Abram. And you are part of his descendants. You sitting here, your father, many, many generations ago, was Abram. And in, in, in this instance, God chose Abram. By his grace, he chose him. And by his grace, he chooses you. And although God showed amazing grace to Abram, he has nothing in return other than just trust. Trust my promises. And Abram... Uh, this grace that he received was not his idea at all. He didn't do anything deserve it. All he had to do was trust God. But Abram, as he got older, he was thinking, I have to start a whole nation, but I don't have any children. And God promised me that I would be the father of many. And so he began to not trust God anymore. Although God had kept him safe and all God had fulfilled his promises, Abram decided to go, I don't know if I trust God anymore. So he took matter into his own hands. And his wife, Sarai, had said, why don't you sleep with my servant and we will start a nation through her. And so Abram did that. And he had a son named Ishmael. And his problems only got worse from there. And, And then life went on. And Abram, in his heart, wondered, this must have been God's plan. And so through many scrapes, and bruises and encounters very dangerous situations. Abram found himself uh, tired and broken one night in his tent after all this hardship, after he had kind of wandered from God and stopped trusting him. And God had come to him and said, what are you doing? And Abraham, Abram said, well, I still have no child and you're promising me I have one. All I have is my chief of staff. Maybe he's the person that's gonna inherit everything. And then God said, no, it will be you. It will come from you. You will have your own child. And then Abram was like, God, I'm just having a hard time believing you, having a hard time trusting you with this because I'm like 90-something and my wife's 90-something. And from their limited perspective of reproduction at the time, they were going, I'm pretty sure we're past the date. And then God did something amazing. He took Abram outside and he said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And in that moment, I'm sure Abram took some time to ponder and count. Probably took a long time looking up. And I imagine the sky so vast and him sitting there wondering, I've been trying to follow you, but nothing's happening. But in that moment, Abram made a critical decision, critical decision to trust God. And this is what we see. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And at that very moment, as, as God finished this ceremony out with Abram, that he would have been very accustomed to, that there was this fully one-sided contract that God was saying, I will fulfill my end. You have to do nothing other than believe me. At that very moment, the Lord established an important precedent moving forward all the way to where we're at today. A righteous standing with God comes through faith. Isn't that interesting? Hundreds of years before God had given the the nation of Israel that, that Abram died and never even get to see this nation unfold. But as that took place, as God... Hundreds of years before God gave this nation of Israel the Ten Commandments, God gave Abram the gift of righteousness. His message could not have been clearer at the time. The solution to sin was not rule-keeping. The solution to sin was not adhering to laws. If that was the case, God would have given Abram laws. But in that moment, God not only said, you're righteous, but I give you a new name, Abraham. Abraham. And you will be the father of many. And I'll give your wife, Sarai, a new name, Sarah, which means princess. That's nice, right? (laughs) But here, God established this really important message that a righteous standing with God does not come through keeping laws. It comes through faith. That the solution wasn't rule keeping. If God wanted to start the whole cleanup process with a list, he would have done that. But instead, he initiated a relationship. He asked an undeserving man to trust him. And when that man did, God gave him what he deserved the least, friendship and peace with God. That's amazing grace. And 10,000 years, years—or not 10,000, then thousands of years later, the apostle Paul got in this argument with the religious elite who should have known the Bible who should have known the scriptures, who should have known the Old Testament. And they got in this argument about what creates the, uh, how how can a man become righteous in God's sight? And the religious elite had pointed all the way back to Moses and said it's following the law of Moses. But here is what Paul replied, that he went back further than Moses, he went back to Abraham. And in Romans 4.13 we see, this is what Paul said. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be an heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. That's you, that's me not only to those that are of the law, but those who are of the faith of Abraham. Come on, that's really good news. I don't know if you like fully understand the implications that what I just talked about leading up to that Bible verse, but let me try and spell it out just really quickly here. That is amazing grace. That is grace you do not deserve. That is grace Abraham did not deserve. That sounds a lot like what we see in the New Testament. For those of you who have been trying so hard to keep a right standing with God by doing all the little things and by being perfect and keeping all the laws, that is not what God intended. Not from the beginning of time and not to what's gonna happen in the end of time. And what we see is at least in that middle gap where we see the Old Testament and all the laws and the things, that there's this group of people who have no laws. They were slaves. They had zero identity. They had no religious structure. They had no governmental structure. They had no law enforcement. They had nothing. And God, by His grace, showed them how to live and be in right standing with God. But that did not count them as righteous by keeping those laws. What counted them as righteous is the very thing and the very thing for you and me that he gave Abraham, which is by faith you are counted as righteous. It is not the laws that you're trying to keep. And for those of you who have been working so hard to keep those, you're not going to get anywhere by doing it. Because through your faith... You're counted as righteous in God's eyes. You can never be more right in God's eyes than the right that you are right now. If you've received His, uh, if you've received Jesus into your heart, and if you believe in Him, you cannot get any more right than how right you are right now. You can try, you can you can try and increase your righteousness, but it will never work. It won't do anything. You are right. You are justified, forgiven, accepted, welcomed. Your identity is the same righteousness of Jesus that you have right now. My identity is in the righteousness of Christ, and so is yours. And by way, it comes from grace of God for those who don't keep the law, but by faith. That is amazing grace and God wants to extend that grace to you today my friend that amazing grace that you didn't deserve it if anything you undeserved it if anything God should not give it to you because you're not good in his sight sin created that and your sin created that but because of God's amazing grace, that it was His idea, it wasn't your idea, that God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor and kindness is upon you because of your faith. That is amazing. That is really amazing. I was, it just came back from winter camp this last weekend. How many of you were saved prior to 18? If you can just show me your hands. There's a lot of you. You have received God's grace, and it is amazing to see students respond to God's grace. And you know teenagers, they don't deserve it. But it is an incredible thing to witness a group of young people hungry and thirsty for the amazing grace of Jesus. They didn't keep any laws to get that. But for them to receive that by their faith, it breaks me every time I see it. And God wants to give you that this morning. And so if you would, would you pray with me? God, I thank you, Lord, for your grace, your truly amazing grace, God, that you chose us. We didn't deserve it. Lord, we need you for all the times that we falter and fail. God, we need your grace. Lord, and I thank you that the laws that you've given us help guide us, instruct us, but I don't have to measure up through those. It is by faith that I'm counted as righteous. God, and for the people in the room right now, who need to hear those words, that the doing doesn't measure up. God, would you impart your grace right now? God, that you would, begin to break the chains of religious systems in our life that tell us to do so much and work so hard. God, would you break those and in part help us see this new perspective that you are this amazing, grace-filled God that is by faith and faith alone. There is nothing we could do to deserve your righteousness, Lord. God, would you give that to us this morning? God, we love you and we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. It's such a great word, right? It's, it's inspiring and it's humbling all at the same time that God initiates this promise to us, a group of totally undeserving people, and yet he is for us and on our side and contends for us. I love love that. Hey, um, uh, we're going to close the service here. I'm going to be over here on this side of the auditorium for a first connect for anyone anyone who would love to uh, come and meet and say hello over there. If, if you've got something uh, in your life going on where you need someone to pray with you or to pray for you, to agree with you in prayer, we've got a prayer team that will gather kind of right over here. You can step up to them and they would love to talk with you and pray with you about that. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Enjoy the Super